Hello, you're about to listen to the Dr. Squee show. I am Dr. Squee and uh, in a minute this will be my show. Uh, we're just going to do a little bit of a uh, pre-podcast uh, ramble here. Uh, what, I'm, I'm trying this out. You see, this this is a new show, so this is all about new things and uh, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. It's kind of an exciting time in a podcast where you're figuring out exactly how it's going to work and how it's going to be. So uh, for this one, I thought I'd try out uh, doing a little bit about the interview first and about everything that's happening in the world of Dr. Squee. And then we're going to have the credits and then we're going to have the main show. Uh, this week we've got Paul McCaffrey up, which was recorded live at Southampton Superpod uh, back in March. But we'll get on to that in a minute. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone who listened to the show last week, our inaugural episode with Tim Brooke Taylor. If you haven't yet, please go back and check that out. He's a comedy legend and he's sadly no longer with us. I, I had the good fortune to record a, an interview with him uh, just months uh, before his death um, due to coronavirus, very untimely. And man, was it a great chat. But that was last week. Uh, I would also just like to bring your attention to a few new things we've got. So we've got uh, drsquee.com. We've got a website. Uh, we're out on podcast form now, as I said. We've got the Facebook page, which is very exciting because we've been doing a lot of live interviews there. When I first uh, conceived of the Dr. Squee show, the idea was that it, it well, there wasn't an idea for it to live live as often as it has done so far. But what with the coronavirus outbreak and everything which happened there, we thought, like, let's give out some entertainment to people. Let's put some shows directly out to the masses. And so that's what I've done. So there's uh, loads of interviews up there, most of which are going to come in podcast form. Uh, a couple I might leave as exclusive up there. We'll see how it goes. But there's one with Jill Sabuel I've just done, an amazing American singer. Uh, and kind of like, uh, she's a kind of folk singer. And she's a wonderful uh, you listen back to it listen you know look her up, look up her tunes you're sure to know at least uh, one or two of them and uh, she was absolutely wonderful and that's going to come and uh, come up on this podcast in the weeks to come but to this week's show oh and also sorry sorry just just two more things follow us also on twitter and on instagram at dr squee so uh it's, it's been an exciting week in the world of uh, dr squee as well because uh, i got engaged this week uh, just this weekend, in fact, just as I recall this yesterday, I got engaged to my girlfriend. It was her birthday, uh, or my fiance now, I guess, uh, the lovely Nicola. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to get married at some point, planning maybe a long engagement. Uh, because of everything going on, I couldn't buy her a ring because no ring shops are open, and I'm not going to buy something online for that much money and then not you know, see it in advance. So I got an engagement necklace. Uh, it was rather a nice... Uh, nice little proposal I did like yeah we had the cake we had the uh, champagne we had uh, presents and then right at the end I brought out the uh, the box which I had to again borrow a box because the the necklace didn't come in anything so uh, I borrowed a box which I'd got a pocket watch in from um, my uh, stepdaughter to be and uh, so I got down on one knee and, and I proposed and she, she said yes uh, it's been wonderful I'd like to thank everyone out there who's uh, Send me a little message or uh, like the status on Facebook uh, where we announced that. Everyone's been absolutely lovely. Uh, it's just uh, the outpouring's been great. And I know part of that is from the podcasting community. Hopefully people listening to the Dr. Squee show now. And on to this week's show. Now, uh, there's so many things to take into account here. Now, Paul McCaffrey was a lovely guest. We had a wonderful time. This was recorded at the Social Southampton. If you're in Southampton, it's a wonderful uh, 
pub we're upstairs where they've got a little kind of uh, show venue area. And uh, it was an aid of um, of sports relief, which is a sort of like offshoot of comic relief over here in the UK, which helps raise money for good causes uh, of a sporting nature, as well as helping out um, lots of other charities. But, you know, the, the kind of night is themed around sports. I think some of the charities aren't sports related, but uh, it's kind of focused on sports in that event. And uh, I initially reached out to some people uh, from the sporting world to see if they're available, but but I couldn't get anyone. The only one I got close with was uh, Helena Lucas, who's next week's guest. And she said that uh, she'd do an episode, but she couldn't do that night because she was off uh, doing the Heineken Cup. You'll hear all about that anyway in, in the podcast. But Paul McCaffrey was available. He's a wonderful comedian. Uh, he's uh, from Winchester, just up the road from Southampton here in the UK. And uh, we had a wonderful chat. Uh, this was being recorded as part of Southampton Superpod. And on the day, they had this beamed out live on uh, local TV for the local university, um, Southampton Solent University. And uh, we had this kind of joke because one of the shows on the first day, we were, this was recorded on the second, I believe. On the first day, they'd said uh, someone had sent some swear words and stuff and, and said fuck a few times. And so the feed got cut. Initially, we were told we could swear. Then we found out we couldn't because this was being shown out in the university. So, you know, you had students and uh, families of students, I'm sure, and God knows who else walking down the corridors. And suddenly you had us going fuck left, right and center. That ain't going to fly at, uh, at the uni. So uh, they cut the feed uh, for that. And so I joke all the way throughout this and the other podcasts I did for our other show, Due South by Southeast, you know, don't cut the feed, don't cut the feed, please. That was only a suggestive swear word. We, we got most of the way through this without any swears. Uh, Paul did get a little bit overexcited near the end and, and let out one F-bomb. But we don't care about that here on the Dr. Squee Show. It was only for the purposes of live that we cared about it at all. And if they cut the feed, so be it. Um, it also went out on radio, so like... Uh, so there was like live happening all over this. And uh, I, when I recorded this, I thought this was going to be like a rare live show for the Dr. Squee show. But I, I think 90% at least of this series is going to be recorded live between this, Facebook. Um, there is another event, actually, which I do have to plug in a second. Actually, let's plug it now. This Saturday, if you're listening to this podcast in the week it's released, this Saturday, which is going to be, oh God, I have to look at the date. But this Saturday, we're going to be doing Sci-Fi in the Sky. So that's going to be on Saturday, the 2nd of May. And uh, it's this uh, wonderful event they're doing. Uh, now, we usually every uh, once or twice a year, depending on uh, how often it's run, go to Sci-Fi Weekender, which is just this uh, great science fiction festival. So you've got musical acts, comedy acts uh you've got um sci-fi legends doing signings and uh authors it's a wonderful event everyone has a good time every time but due to corona we had to cancel it this year or it had to be cancelled this year i usually host a few panels as well as doing uh, some interviews for the podcast but obviously with everything happening it wasn't on so what they decided to do uh, instead of just cancelling outright it was due to be happening this weekend, but uh, they moved it to next weekend and decided to do it as an online version of the event. So uh, I'm going to be doing one hour of it, and that's at five o'clock. It's going to be um, broadcast all over the internet. If you follow the Dr. Squeeze Show page, I will put up full details there, and I will uh, share out the event on the day. So please follow Dr. Squeeze Show uh, online for more details. I'll also put it up in there on, uh, on uh, Twitter as well. 
And uh, yeah, I'm going to be interviewing Dacre Stoker. So that's the great grand nephew of Bram Stoker. And he's done a forensic look back at his uh, great grand uncle's kind of uh, life and time. Sorry, that's just uh, Dotty in the background coughing up some mud which he was just eating. Can't get the doggos these days. Anyway, Dacre's going to be talking about... Are you okay, Dotty? I'm recording the intro to the podcast. You can wag your tail all you like. I'm still recording it. Okay, so, um, yeah, that's going to be going out live on the internet. And uh, I'm going to be uh, speaking to Dacre about the fact that he looked back over all the influences went, which went into Dracula by his great-granduncle. So um, he was ill as a child. He was stuck indoors, so he had a pale complexion. And uh, he had bloodletting happening in the local uh, village where he grew up. And there's all this kind of like stuff which uh, Dacre has gone back and forensically put together. And it's just wonderful. I saw this kind of talk he gave in uh, Sci-Fi Weekend last year. And so he's going to be talking to me about all of that, as well as being a, a horror writer in his own right, and taking out the mantle of Bram. And he's rewritten some uh, Dracula books. So that's going to be a lovely chat. So please join us this Saturday, live at 5 on uh, our Facebook page. You'll be able to find all the details and we'll share it out in there. But back to this week's show. And um, yeah, Paul McCaffrey. So he's uh, supported um, Kevin Bridges and Sean Locke on tour. He's done two sellout stand-up tours himself. Uh, Now he talks about dates in this. Unfortunately, they're all cancelled. Uh, for obvious reasons, some of which will have already happened anyway, when, you know, if they did happen before the lockdown started. Uh, we talk about, he mentions Corona at one stage, and it's quite funny because it's like, you know, it was kind of like people were still joking about it when this was recorded. It's just so weird. It's only about a month ago that we did this. Uh, I'd like to thank Al Galpin, who ran Southampton Superpod, and uh, had us along there for as part of the as part of the event. Uh, it was an absolutely wonderful day. There's so many lo- wonderful shows as part of it. We we're honoured just to do our little hour there. So shout out to all the shows who were there. Uh, what else have I got to tell you? Oh, I'd like to thank uh, Matt Lees, who was part of that event, and he recorded the Dr. Squeeze Show theme tune. Now, he's a good buddy of mine anyway, and uh, I hope you're really enjoying that wonderful theme tune he does at the beginning. He's going to be releasing an album soon, so please look out for that, but follow him, uh, Matt Lees Music, or Matt Lees uh, Legend of the Sp- In My Spare Time podcast, which he does as well, which is a wonderful show. Uh, but I think that's everything I've got to plug. Uh, is there anything else about the day that I haven't mentioned? Because there's loads of things which, again, listening back, it's only a month ago, but uh, loads of stuff which have become irrelevant because of what's happened over the course of that month. Uh, but I don't think so. Enjoy the show. If there's anything which doesn't seem to make sense, it probably hasn't happened because everything just went to shit when all this struck. Uh, there's a, an appeal at the end uh, for Sports Relief and uh, there's a couple of messages in there. Uh, one from Helene Lucas, next week's guest, and uh, one from a couple of guys from Torchwood, uh, which Doc 2 spin-off. He recorded a little message for uh, Sports Relief for us. So there's so much packed into the air on this one. I really hope you're going to enjoy it. I, I had so much fun with this. Um, it's really weird. Like, uh, I think it's a good show. I think I've relaxed a bit more shows I'm doing. Uh, but this was one of the early ones we recorded, and I think I already kind of like hit a bit of a stride. Uh, Paul was so nice and complimentary about my interviewing. It feels weird after like seven years odd of doing podcasts, but I feel like I'm I'm kind of finding my own as a, an interviewer at the moment in a way I never did on my previous show. Uh, maybe because it's just a different beast, and maybe this needs to be its own animal. 
but there we have it um and please do give some money you can still go to um superpod.com i believe look the details are on the show listen when you hear the details donate some money uh, it's a wonderful charity but in the meantime please enjoy this week's dr squeeze show it's time for another live podcast broadcasting online on your smart speaker and on facebook live from the social in southampton this is the dr squeeze show welcome to the show with your friend and mine so tell me dr squeeze who's it gonna be this time we like to hear you talk and we love to hear you listen and if you are not subscribed you Tonight, Squee welcomes. And now, here's the man himself, Dr. Squee. Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. My name's Dr. Squee, and this is my show. Now, an old adage has it only a fool launches a new podcast live. I am that fool, and welcome to the first live Dr. Squee Show. My friend Al Galpin told me that he was doing a special event in aids of sports relief. He's done this before at uh, Southampton Superpod, and he's doing a second one now, and this one's all aimed around sports. So, of course, I reached out to the good and great of the sporting world, and none of the buggers replied. <laughs> so, I reached out to comedians, and one of them did, luckily for me. So, uh, before we get to that, though, just quickly... Uh, if you're listening or watching this live, which is being broadcast on, uh, on student TV as well as across the internet on mixler.com forward slash, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're listening, you know. Like, just, what's the point of me saying? You're watching or listening already. I don't need to give those links. But if you are, you can enter a contest now to win tickets to Wembley to hear, uh, uh, to see a host of comedians playing live. So first of all, one of them's a friend of, uh, of my guest this week. It's Joel Dermott. We've got uh, uh, Seleni Henry, there's Catherine Ryan, uh, Sindhu V, a whole host of wonderful comedians. If you just donate £5 at superpod.co.uk now, you can win those tickets. So it's £5 or more. Please donate more. Or donate whatever you can. If you haven't got five, donate three quid. Just donate some money. But you can win the tickets if you donate now. If you're listening back to this, uh, when the show launches then you can still donate, but you just won't win the tickets. You'll just be doing something nice. So, so that's good. But now I'm going to welcome my guest. Uh, not only has he already successfully linked in his name while we live did the theme tune, which I'm already impressed by, but he's also a stand-up comi- comic who has appeared on Live the Apollo and Russell Howe's Good News. He's featured in the UK version of Impractical Jokers alongside, we already mentioned him, Joel Dermott, Roisin Conti and uh, <laughs> Merrick Yarwood. As well as supporting Sean Locke and Kevin Bridges on tour. And he's now on tour with his new show, Lemon, following on from his critically acclaimed, I Thought I'd Grown Out This By Now. Please welcome to the Dr. Squeeze Show, Paul McCaffrey! There you go. That's quite an intro. It's not bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm now out of breath, though, for the rest of the hour. I I hope you're a talker. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that was very well done. It was uh, impressive. 
Well, we have got some uh, some links to sports because you're a big uh, Saints fan. Yeah. You, you come from just down the road here from uh, Winchester, yeah, from Winchester, Winchester so. which just beats me in posh top trumps because I'm from Romsey, which is the oh, next well, poshest well, in Hampshire. Got a slightly more horsey sort of. Uh, it's got a little horsey. We, we got a little horsey. An affluent place, but I think Romsey's got that kind of whole sort of fox hunting sort of vibe. Well, we did used to have that right through the centre of town. I said something controversial. <laughs> it does, it feels very sort of, it's like a Tory sort of... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not wrong. My dad was a Tory councillor. Like, don't, don't hate but me. But they're both, yes. It was, like, was lovely apart from that. It's just a small glitch. They're both small very glitch. posh, I think you would, you'd be right in saying that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, probably on a top trumps cut, you'd win in a couple of categories, I'd win in a couple. It's, you know, yeah. like... Fox hunting, we got that. You've got like bigger city status. Yeah. Yeah. Stockbridge, have you been there? That's a real kind of hunting and shooting and sort of barber jackets and yeah, very nice place. Jim yeah. Davison lives there. That told you everything you need to know. It does a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> so moving on from Jim Davidson, yeah, I feel like we've already steered it into dangerous grounds already. So let's uh, get into <laughs> just merely stating a fact. <laughs> The rest of that was yeah, but he's a very disturbing fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just well, yeah. I actually know his wife. She's lovely. I'm she's just cutting hair. Okay. I'm just going to say it's looking lovely. She's a very nice lady. So let's get I've on to... i him, so I couldn't possibly comment. Okay. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, so you grew up nearby and you're a Saints fan. Yeah. Uh, did you go to the games in the Dell? Yeah, oh God, yeah. Yeah, lots. Yeah, um, and there are lots. So today. you know the pains of being a Saints fan. I know the pains all too well, and uh, some of the sort of triumphs. I've been to a few. Happens every now and again. Yeah, 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 went to yeah, the Johnson's yeah. Pape Trophy, which we won. Yep, it's a good day, and uh, various other went to FA Cup final. Yeah, I'm not a Glory fan. I had a season <laughs> ticket when we were in League One, so uh, <laughs> thick and considerable thin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we didn't go down for years, and then we went down two leagues like know, in very yeah, short succession. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. I mean, usually Saints, like if anyone who doesn't know Saints, we're usually in the Premier League, but not by much. No. <laughs> we just usually keep it in there That's it. just this about. This season is absolutely classic Southampton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like in those early days, were you, uh, were you always a fan of comedy? Yeah. Up? What were your influences? I was always been a sort of big fan of sort of sitcom more, really. I, don't, mm. I like stand-up, but I wouldn't call myself like a lifelong stand-up fan say but um yeah i really liked sort of i'm old 45 so i can look like stuff like the rise and fall of reginald perry and i used to really like that oh and classic dear john i don't even remember that oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. written by john sullivan who wrote only fools and horses i'm a big fan of that and um and then sort of later on like the office and alan partridge and you know i think the office is like the kind of oasis of comedy really that sort of i think a lot really of people the started doing comedy as a direct result of watching The Office. You know, it's a big sort of, people started talking like Ricky, you know, David Brent. And um, yeah, that was a that, that was a big one for me, The Office. I'm a big fan of that. And still am. I think it really changed up sitcoms because before you had your laughter track, the kind of yes. like three wall kind of uh, sitcoms. Yeah. And that just led people to know that you could just be kind of like real with it and be very, um, very painful with your comedy oh, yeah, if you needed to. So it was very, I don't know if you've seen any of Christopher Guest films. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spinal Tap and sort oh, of, classic. I think obviously he, he was a huge influence on Ricky Gervais making that, that kind of mockumentary style. But yeah, love it, love it. So um, yeah, and that came out 2001 and I started doing comedy in 2005 and I would say that probably had something to do with it. Do you remember a lot of those earlier gigs? Like, how were they for you? Was it was it smooth transition into comedy? 
I'm nervous that you want me to say no. No, no. No, I mean, it's like... I kind of was always quite funny, and I think I was pretty good quite quickly. I actually think I used to be better than I am now, if honest. I think I'm not comedy Benjamin Button. I'm sort of... But, yeah, I kind of... That you have like new act competitions, which I sort of won a couple of quite quickly. Brilliant. I was quite old when I started. I was sort of 30 when I started and um, I've been sort of mucking around in every job. So I had kind of a bit of practice up until that point of making, you know, people laugh. Um, but um, yeah, so the first the first gig I did, I did a course in Brighton. There's a, a stand-up comedy course run by a lady called Jill, uh, Jill Edwards, who um, was a you know, huge... Uh, person in my life and the kind of the direction that it's taken and quite a few pictures Jimmy Carr did it and uh, Sean Walsh was doing it when I did it he's like a, sort of, we started this sort of together and that that kind of set me on a course I've completely forgotten what the question was oh my first yeah uh, yeah just sorry. just early gigs I mean and by the way it wasn't a setup for like painful stories just because no, there's so many comedians you so, do start uh, off with like those hairy early gigs so when you do the course at the end of it it's like a 10 week course and then there's a comedy club in Brighton called Comedia which is a fantastic comedy club and at the end of the course they have a showcase where you all do three minutes and it's really well attended because it's all sort of people that are kind of everyone's sort of supporting someone in it so mm. there's like sort of 12 acts doing it who all bring like 20 people so the first gig you did was a really supportive and warm, busy room, which kind of sets your expectations kind of way offline with what the next gig, you know, next year of gigging is going to be like. Because when you start out, obviously you have to go and do the open mic circuit, which can quite often be you just gigging to the comics at the back of the room that are also on. Do you know, like there's no yeah. actual custom, customer. So, yes, but um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really, but yeah, that, I think so I, 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 my first gig was amazing, and then there was probably a few very shaky ones after that. Yeah. So it does tell me something about like there's a lot of the comedians who say you can't learn it, but it, it it does show that there is some craftsmanship to it. You have to actually learn how to perform and how to present it properly. Yes, I think some people are naturally funny. I think there's sort of you know people there's writing methods or whatever you, people can learn, but yeah, I think. My favourites, I would say, are naturally funny people. Yeah. Um, and then when you went to gig in the real world, so like, how do you kind of start to get your name out there, how to build up as a comedian? Well, those new app competitions certainly help because you kind of get seen by um, kind of club bookers and stuff, perhaps before you would do, just naturally. So, you know, they have a process of elimination where they'll have like heats, then a quarter final, then a semi final, then a final. And then if you can get to the final, that's where people will come because they know that the hard work has been done for them to a certain degree because yeah. they've kind of, say, 500, which is quite often the case, 500 new acts will enter a competition. And then by the time you get to the final, in theory, the 12 best ones are left. Yeah. So then people that, you know, book clubs will come and see that because, um, you know, they've uh, got, got rid of the kind of... The chaff. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. The less strong acts. The less strong, the yeah. ones which need a little more work yeah. before they get there. We'll, we'll, we'll be nice about it. Yes. So that, so that, so that, yeah, so that, that's, um, that's how I kind of got my first agent. I won, you know, Latitude Festival. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they run a, a new act competition there, which I was in, and uh, I won. And then that kind of off the back of that then sort of got a couple of agents offering to represent me and then start to get a few paid gigs and I was kind of working, I was very lucky, I had a job 
doing charity fundraising alongside doing the comedy. Um, where I was able to work flexible hours, I could sort of pick and choose my shifts. Um, so, you know, I could kind of, if I had one week where I had a couple of gigs, I could do a few shifts to supplement my income. Oh, nice. And then other weeks, maybe where I had a few more gigs. Um, and then just slowly, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I think I could probably just survive on the money that I'm earning from comedy. And then that was 2010, so it's been a decade that I've not had to have a day job. So. Nice. Something must be, yeah, must be doing something right. <laughs> and uh, one thing I didn't ask is like, so did, what made you kind of what, choose stand up comedy in your thirties? Like, was that a, an easy decision to make, or just like, well, I've got, got nothing to lose going for it? People were always saying to me, "You should be a stand up comedian." Yeah, if I'm honest. Like, I ran a pub. Work, I worked behind loads of bars. Customers were always like, "You should do stand up." You know, um, probably doesn't seem that funny now. <laughs> <It's not> my <laughs> least funny when I'm talking about comedy. <laughs> And you become quite earnest and serious. Yeah, you know, but... Uh, but First yeah, episode I of think, a new show, there's no pressure. It's fine. I think, it's fine. It's fine. you know, just... uh, people were always saying to me, you should be a stand-up. Yeah. Um, I don't think it came as a surprise to many people when that's what started. Yeah. And did you feel confident going into it? Like, you know, I, I could I could have pictured being like behind the bar at a pub. You've got to be kind of quite outgoing. No, quite absolutely social. not. The first few gigs no? you do. I remember the first gig of turning up and I was... I was going to phone up and say that my nan was ill and I couldn't come and, you know, and then, you know, the nerves, I used to get sick on the way to, you know, sort of, you do what's called an open spot at some clubs to sort of get booked for full paid spots. So if you'd have been to a comedy night, you'll have seen uh, a bill typically as a kind of compare and three acts uh, with two intervals. And to get booked on as one of those, you have to do what are called uh, open spots, which is where you'll turn up and do a shorter spot for free or yeah. sometimes they'll give you a bit of money but so that they can see you it's kind of almost like a kind of working job interview really so they'll go oh this guy was good let's give him a full spot Great. Um, and yeah I can remember turning up particularly to places like the Comedy Store which is the kind of most famous comedy club in London to do my first five minutes and I was retching on the tube just like, you know but as time goes on that I think has got less and less um, and yeah, I never used to be able to eat before gigs. Now I can sort of practically put a burger down and sort of <laughs> hear my name called, fill in the you know. So I sort of, uh, yeah, the nerves definitely lessen as time goes on. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get into some more stuff uh, in just a moment, but we've got a couple of drops from a few celebrities, uh, especially for today. Okay. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, well, a month or so ago now, for my other podcast, uh, Gallifrey Stands, which I did before, I recorded an interview with a couple of guys from Torchwood, the Doctor Who spin-offs. So oh, this is Gareth David Lloyd and Kai Owen talking about their passion for rugby. You guys would just like to talk about the uh, watching national sport of rugby. And uh, I, I don't know if you want to talk about it yesterday too much, but uh, you know, why, is, why is rugby so great? Why is rugby the kind of new sport? Oh, I th- um, community, I think. I th- uh, especially sort of the, the, the valleys. Um, um, it really brings sort of small, close knit villages and communities together, gives them something to share in. Um, and it's, 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 it's much better than it used to be, but certainly after the, the, the closure of the mines back, you know, back, back in the 80s, there was, there was a, you know, the ghost towns, ghost villages, and I think it's the, it's, it's the rugby, the rugby clubs that, that, that kept everyone sort of together. Um, it's something we can all stand shoulder to shoulder in. Enjoy, take part in, enjoy the rivalry with England. You know, it's, it's, um, yeah, 
it's a, it's a sense of community, much more so in Wales than, than in England. You find in England, it's much more so public school. Um, boys that play rugby, and it's, it's just more sort of soccer in the sort of yeah. more working class communities. But in Wales, it's very much the sort of grassroots rugby clubs that sort of um, keep community strong and together, shoulder to shoulder. Thank you. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm. I'm more of a I, I, I'm 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 more of a from a football background really, but as I've got older, I, I I'm more leaning to more in rugby, in rugby. I played rugby, I played football as well. I love them both equally now. Um, my heart is I, I I tend to lean towards football, um, but um, over the years I've enjoyed my rugby more. My son, who is who is nine, he's ten this year, plays both, loves them both equally, but he loves his rugby more. And I and as a as a parent, I think rugby is 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 better for them than football. I think in terms of in terms of discipline, in terms of respect to the referees, in terms of team building work, in terms of the way they are with their with their teammates, the work the work ethic of rugby, the respect, honesty, and discipline of rugby is is great. I love him playing football, and he loves it, and he loves it equally. But there's something about rugby that 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 just. That, that has a gang of lads that have got your back forever and if he can I think if he plays rugby for the rest of his life the next you know they'll be okay there's something about it I don't know what I'm trying to say yeah, no. there's just something there that will that will that will set you up that rugby gives you something that, it's, um, it's that, it's, it's, that other sports don't there's an honour with it is. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah 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 and um, and the community that it brings together is just amazing and as a nation it's our national sports as a, as a Welsh sport, so there's, there's nothing better. I think the Six Nations is the highlight of the sporting calendar, and we're, we're you know we're lucky over here because we get we get to see England, Wales, England, France, Italy, but Scotland and Ireland especially as well. They're brilliant games. The Six Nations are just incredible. I love it. It's a, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant sport. I would recommend anybody try and rugby. I'm back now here with Phil McCann. I was not saying I had to play rugby twice while I was at school, and uh, I think that's a terrible steer. <laughs> yeah. I would recommend anyone try rugby. Not like, I remember getting hit in the face by a ball on a cold, wet morning. It was a deeply unpleasant experience. Yeah, uh, so I can only speak for Romsey School, where I was. Uh, it was basically institutionalised bullying for people who weren't good at rugby. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, you're not going to like uh, go for the ball? Great, I'll just mash you into the ground anyway, because we to, can. I uh, went to King's School in Winchester as well, which is a big rugby school. Our head of year, uh, I don't know anything about rugby, but he... Uh, does anyone know who Budge Poutney is? He was the, he was the captain of Scotland. Right, and he was our head boy in my year at school. Oh wow! So uh, that's the kind of like you know the level. I don't even know why they w- wanted me to like you know be out there. It was just an embarrassment. But anyway, <laughs> there we go. And I think that's pushed top trumps to you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's a comprehensive school, but it, you, you know, I've funnily enough, I've actually got a gig there on Friday. I've done it before. They have a PTA gig, and. Uh, sort of comic friends of mine have come down and gone, Jesus, this school is like, what is this, you know, like a private school, and it, it, it isn't, but it's kind of a, a good comprehensive. Great. Uh, so... <laughs> I digress. <laughs> Looking at schools at the moment, I can highly recommend King's School in Winchester. Excellent. So we've already got some advice in this show, it's good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you 
toured on some big tours with uh, mm. Sean Locke yeah. and uh, Kevin Bridges. Yeah. Uh, how do those gigs come about? How do you kind of like build up to doing? Well, we I have the same agent as both of those people, so it was kind of a case of you would go and do a couple of gigs with them, see how you got on, and um, whether they like your stuff, whether you're going to compliment what they do. Because obviously, you know, that's more of a job when you're a support act. You're going out before them to kind of get everyone tuned in and warmed up. And I'm very lucky that they're two of my favourite comics and I got on very well with both of them. Uh, I did the Sean's tour first, which was kind of in big theatres. And um, I went out and did like three or four sort of work in progress dates with him. And we got on well and he liked my stuff. And then he booked me for the full tour. So that was amazing. And then with Kevin, same sort of deal. I went over and did three nights with him in uh, Jersey and it went well and we got on well. And I think someone else was already booked to do those ones, but I think for whatever reason, it hadn't been such a good fit. And I was in Ibiza and uh, my phone rang and it was Kevin Bridges. And he was like, all right, I'll just, I'll just give you a call just to see whether you'd be up for doing my, my tour like in the arenas and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go on then. Yeah, so that was an incredible experience. We were playing in mostly arenas, sort of like four to twelve thousand people at a time. Yeah, yeah, and it's two very different comedians. Like uh, it wasn't too dissimilar to this, actually. It was a very similar sort of setup. It was. Uh, yeah, and um, like you're probably not getting on audio. We're packed by hundreds yeah. of people in front of me right now. Uh, just come on, give us a big whoop, everyone. <laughs> I mean, probably sounds like seven or so people, but really thousands, thousands out there. It's the microphones. They're not picking Yeah, up. it's just the acoustics in the room. Oh. Uh, yeah, both fantastic comedians, but obviously Sean Locke's been, uh, it seems like doing stand-up forever, such He's a polished comedian. one of the best. It was like, you know. Amazing. It was like, you know, I can't think of a sporting analogy, but it was like, yeah, I mean, I suppose it was like training to play football with Letizia. It's that kind of level of, He's an incredible comedian and an absolute privilege and honour to sort of watch him every night. And I tell you, after both of those uh, tours, when I was then going back and doing gigs myself, I was definitely better by os- like kind of osmosis just from sort of watching them every day. I watched them every day, every night. I would finish my set and then I would sit down and watch because they changed them and it was just incredible to watch. You know, these are two people that are where they are because of who they are, their work yeah. ethic, you know, that, 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 that kind of natural talent and that kind of, I mean, both two of the funniest people I've ever met in my life, and but, but two of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life as well. Brilliant. I mean, I feel like Sean uh, uh, Locke's only really got the uh, credit he deserves in the last few years where he's done kind of like a few more bits in TV. I mean, just I think he's just such a, a comedian who's been going for so long yeah. and doing so many things. And Kevin Bridges just seemed to come out of the gate Sort of like he's just extraordinary. Yeah, he's a freakishly funny person. Yeah, um, actually funny bones. Yeah, real, uh, real, real, I'm very lucky to do both of those jobs. They are things that, as as a kind of life experience, there are things I'll look back on. You know, to be driving into a city and going, "Gee, I played in there." That was, you know, there's not many. I mean, an extremely small percentage of the human race that will be able to say that I performed in an arena. Um, it's almost one of those things where I'm glad I kind of thought about that in retrospect and not before I went on because it's like probably good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Actually, that was a so when we did Dublin, I think we did five nights in the uh, uh, is it the three arena out there, which is nine thousand people, which was and it, it, it was brilliant because some nights you'd sort of go out and there felt like there was a sense of like oh, this is a bit of an inconvenience. We come to see Kevin Bridges. Who's this? You know, who's this guy? 
other nights, Dublin particularly, Aberdeen, Cardiff, some cities, you could feel in the room, they were like, oh, amazing, there's another comedian. And Dublin was really like that. So it was really good fun. And uh, on... So we went from Dublin to Belfast with a day off in between. And on the on the Monday after we finished in there, you two started a red, residency in the arena. And we had a day off. So we went and watched you two in the arena. And I'm like, I'm glad we're watching these now. Because I'm watching you two on the stage that I had performed on the night before. Being you two with these big hits and all this noise. And I'm going, how on earth did I manage? <laughs> Just me stood there with a microphone yeah. to like... And it, yeah, I, I, I think that would have really freaked me out when I watched that before. I think it is a particular skill for a stand-up comedian because, like, you know, obviously a band has more members to occupy a stage. Yeah. They've got, like, the pyrotechnics going on, but you're a, a man on a microphone kind of thing. two screens, um, you know, so they're big screens. So I would say the majority of the room are kind of watch, watching your nose. It's a very different thing to play. I'm used to playing comedy clubs, which are kind of 200 people, say, which is still quite a big, you know, yeah. thing. But it's a somewhat you know, more intimate um, experience. So, you, you know, when you first go out, you're trying to sort of hit everyone, but actually it's all being sort of shown on these screens. So you learn that you don't, you know, you don't need to be hitting the back of these massive rooms with your performances. So did you find, uh, depending on who you were supporting, did you tailor your act at all or was it just... Sometimes, know, just uh, you know, one of them might say, oh, could you not do that bit? Because I've got a bit that's somewhat similar or... Could, yeah, do, 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 do you know, like, could you not mention a certain word? Because if I then, if you mention it, then when I say it, it's lost its impact kind of thing. Um, so it can so, be right down to individual words which just pop in a, in a particular well, routine. Y- yeah, sometimes there'd be a swear word that I might use and they like, could you not use that? Because then sort of like it means that when I use it... It's once, lost its impact. Yes. Got you. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah, but it would be more kind of like... Oh, I've got a bit about, say, for example, being hungover in your forties. Oh, I've got a bit about being hungover in forties. Could you not, do, you know, um, could you not? Would you mind not doing that? So, which is absolutely as it should be, and fair enough. They're there to see that person, and that's, you know, I am employed to do a job in that in that particular scenario. Because I do hear that from um, quite a few comedians. Like they say that. Uh it can actually be, you know, even though there are some comedians who do rip off other ones, there's, there's a lot of times where it's parallel thinking. You oh, know, yeah. it's just we're all the, kind of living the same to, you know, certain degree. We're all, you know, for example, at the moment, coronavirus is all that anyone's hearing about on the news. So inevitably, if you go to a comedy club tonight, someone will be joking about the fact that we've run out of toilet roll. It's probably likely that two of the acts will have a joke about the fact that we've got because yeah. just, that's, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of the film roles, a uh, film role which I wanted to bring up, in 2005 you popped up in Green Street Hooligans. Very uh, briefly, I did, yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that and how well, that I came Well, I just out? basically pop up, get beaten up, and that's the end of that. <laughs> 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 that was my uh, big screen name. Were you, were you beaten up by either Elijah Woods or Charlie Hunnam? <laughs> I was, no, I was beaten up by Leo Gregory. Do you know who that is? I don't know Greg. He's a kind of Brit actor. He's been in various bits and pieces. He briefly dated Patsy Kensett after Liam Gallagher. Okay. He played Brian Jones in the biopic of uh, the uh, Rolling Stone, Brian Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stoned. He, he, that was, but yeah, it was him. And uh, he basically gets me from behind and smashes my head on a bollard. And I sort of come up like that. And there's blood coming out of my mouth. And then that, that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Still worth bringing, bringing up, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a... you know, uh, it still counts. Yeah, it still counts. 
And uh, you, you did uh, Russell Howard's Good News in 2012. Yeah. Ah, so he's another one of those uh, performances which I think can really hit the ground running. Like, he just appeared on our screens, was on everything. So young as well. Yeah. yeah. He's brilliant. Yeah. And I think he's only got better. What, what was that show like to do? It was amazing. That was the first sort of TV thing that I'd done. So obviously very nervous. I knew the producer just kind of from comedy. I'd sort of known him a while and... Um, he had sort of kept saying, I really want to get you on and it just didn't happen for a couple of years and then I finally sort of got the call saying you're on there and yeah, it's incredible sort of you turn up about six hours before you're due to do your set and then you're on your own in a dressing room for six hours driving yourself mad uh, just sort of going, oh my God, no one's going to, you know, not all of the obvious fears that you're going to have, am I going to jumble my words, am I going to forget what I've got to say, you know, isn't I don't know how my fly's going to be. <laughs> like whatever, what could go wrong? And then touch wood, it went, it went really well, and it was a yeah, it was good fun. So the hunk which we see on TV is that the the length of, that you film for? Do you film longer and they cut I it down? I can't remember. I think they showed they had to take a couple of swears out. Yeah, um, but um, I think give or take is pretty much what you sort of what they shot. Live at the Apollo is different. They cut that right down. So yeah, I did about twenty-five minutes, and they show about six. This is a twenty-eight-minute show, and there's three acts, obviously. But like uh, uh, Russell Howard's Good News, I think they show pretty much what you do on the night. How do you pick the the bits which you're going to showcase on well, that TV? Was all I had at the time, so, <laughs> so just everything goes in there. It's a very very easy process. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll I'll go for the yeah. bits I've written. Yeah. I will just do everything that I've got. <laughs> Nice self-selection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just tends to be, I think, your club set. So when you do a comedy club, you tend to do 20 minutes. And when you do that show, you're booked to do 20 minutes. So you go, that's my best stuff. Oh, cracking. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and you mentioned there, uh, just since you've already mentioned it, uh, Live of the Apollo. Mm. So that's such a wonderful showcase for comedians. Yes. So great that that exists now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's well, like the FA Cup final for comedians. That's a real kind of... That had been my dream and my sort of goal for like 10 years you know and I've come close a couple of times it's sort of like I've had a couple of years where my agent has been like I think you're on this year and then it didn't happen and so when I finally got the call last May I was over the moon I was on holiday at the time and I said that I was not going to drink that night and that plan very quickly (laughs) (laughs) I might have one to celebrate Um, so yeah it was amazing and what's like just vibing off that audience there and just I'm well I was really lucky because that was actually the 10th time I'd done that room because I did it twice with Sean Locke and I did it seven times with Kevin (laughs) so you know I didn't have that thing that a lot of acts do where they're walking into this room going oh my god I was like oh knew the guy that did security on the door like the people that do the lights had done all the sort of lights for Kevin's tour. So it was quite not, I was very lucky that I was turning up. And, oh, hey, Kevin, how are you doing? You know, I kind of knew, quite I knew the guy that was doing the sound. Um, so that really put me at ease. But then it was still, I, I was obsessing that my hand was going to shake. I just yeah. really got it in my head that I was going to sort of like, and you kind of, uh, obviously you've seen the show, there's that big screen with it and it comes up and you walk out. So before... Before that happened, you're in a sort of little box, which is taped, stood behind there, on your own. I was just like, I'm doing it. This is it. You know, this is it. This is unbelievable. And then sort of like, you hear your name mentioned and then the, you know, the music you've chosen, the lights come up and I just sort of walked out and it, 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 the first joke really hit and I just sort of 
felt quite calm actually. So just in case you're not nervous enough, they put you behind a big screen, no, huge billow of smoke. You're in a box. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure you really hoped up. Yeah. What did you choose to go out to? Uh, Come home by James. Nice. Mm. Okay, so uh, taking it back a bit again. So uh, I'm guessing about the same time as Russell Howe's Good News, you got the Impractical Jokers UK yes. gig. Yes, yes. How did that all come about? Well, Roisin is a friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, and she had already she had been picked for it, and um, Joel had also been picked for it. So those two were definitely in it from the kind of word go, I think, really. Um, and then they tried various people, and Roisin had sort of said, like, I think she thought I'd be really good for it, and kind of it was all down to her, really, to be honest with you. She sort of got me in and. Um, we kind of did a few days. We, we filmed, actually, what it, well, we filmed a kind of pilot uh, episode. So two groups. There was myself, Roisin, what became the show, actually. And then there was another four who, I forget who was in it, but they kind of filmed these two and then put them online. I think the idea was people were going to vote who their favourites were. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. They had two pilots, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. I think it was part of, like, some BBC comedy, whatever it was. Um yeah, they did like comedy feeds or something. Yeah, like, yeah. But uh, say that we, I think we'd already been told that we were we were the <laughs> It was all a sham. Yeah. Oh. So that's a bit. Of, yeah. Um, and then and that was that. Yeah. So we did two series. It's just a shame, really, because people really like that. I don't know whether things have changed now, because uh, like on social media, that used to be every time an episode went out. I just get loads of nice tweets, and uh, that was not the case when my live at the Apollo went out. <laughs> <laughs> One guy said I was the worst stand-up ever. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe. Uh, I mean, I didn't think I was that bad. Yeah, like, literally the worst ever. Um, so yeah, but when that went out, that was it was just all, una- pretty much unanimously positive, and and then the the commissioner changed during the second. We did two series of it. Yeah. The first series uh, went really well and they commissioned the second. And then um, during the second series, the guy that had commissioned them, who loved it, moved on. And the new guy that came was just not a fan at all. And it was just kind of, that was the end of that. I thought you guys were really great. And what a great lineup. I mean, Mark Yarwood, I think, is very different. You know, all three, four different people. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I was there for the sort of eye candy. Joel was there yeah, for the sort yeah. of comedy. And yeah. um, it's. Um, <laughs> Whatever happened to Joel Dermot, anyway? No, no, yeah, no one's ever heard of him since. Uh, but I, I just thought it was just, um, you guys were four such, um, great comedic minds. Mm. But they did. I think you guys, yeah, 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 I'm pretty good, yeah. <laughs> but I thought you guys were really great. But the, the only thing I did find is because they were showing the, uh, American one at the same time, there were some bits which they yeah, had so you. Not, well, yeah, well, they did it first. Do. So, like, then kind of, you know, like how when, Big Brother gets bought by another country. Yeah, it yeah. was the same sort of deal. It was an American show, and then the BBC bought the rights to it over here, and then we did ours, and then, like, quite helpfully, sort of around the same time, they started showing the American one. And then it was just so confusing. Some people were going, oh, look, these guys have ripped off your show, and then American people were going, you've ripped off their show. And it's like, no, it's just that I don't think anyone realised when we started making ours that they were then going to start showing the American one. And some of the, the kind of 
sort of uh, hits that we did were exactly the same. Well, that was the thing. It, it seemed like they fed you a few of the ones to well, they do. Just which, a pack, yeah. You know, they bought yeah. a package and it was like part of that was, you know, this is a hit. So you were massaging in a shopping mall. I can't even remember what we did. I had to get someone. I had to, we, we were working in a car showroom. And you had to get um, someone to agree to get in the boot of a car in the showroom, and you know, just all of this stuff. But it, which was which was really funny because people were like, "This is amazing!" And then when they saw it, they go, "No, oh, you've ripped it off someone else." But that was just kind of, uh, you know, how it worked. But when you went into your own stuff, I think it's that's when it came alive the most. It's yeah, because we, it was still it was still a somewhat improvised show because while yeah. you were down there, you know, it wasn't like you were being fed lines. You were still having to use your initiative to sort of do whatever the thing that was required of you was. So there was a, you know, improvisational element to it. I believe one of my favourite bits was when they, they asked you to cheer out Paul Pompey and you just like, right, I'm out, and okay. just walked off. Spring <laughs> <laughs> it back to the sports theme, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and uh, did you get to meet the uh, American Jokers doing that? Was they, yeah. Were they in contact? Uh, I think we did. Were they very memorable when you did meet them? <laughs> did you meet them? I think we might have done, yeah. Did we meet them? I feel like we probably... Maybe. I can't remember. So, yeah. Have you kept in, t- in touch with the other Jokers? I still... It's comedy small, so you still see... You know, I will giggle. I haven't seen Roisin for ages. I need to sort that out, but... Uh, they're, they're all around. You know, Joel is sort of touring, so I tend to sort of see him when he's working on stuff in clubs. Uh, yeah, sort of, but uh, he's obviously doing very well with his masked singer and everything like that. So, yeah. uh, Married. Uh, Married? <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, yeah, is about doing little bits and pieces. You sort of keep putting these little funny short films up online and stuff like that. So, yeah, I haven't seen them for a while, but they are, they are around. And... Um, Sorry, it's right. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say, and when something like that gets cancelled, which is kind of you know obviously a great opportunity to have yeah. something on like that. How do you cover? Do you just move on to the next thing? Just gonna concentrate. I, I was at the Edinburgh Festival and we got the email, and it wasn't even that we got told it was cancelled. Um, so that we, we we kind of knew that, that that it wasn't going any further because it had been so long since the end of the last series. There was a bit of speculation, blah blah blah, and then we were in Edinburgh. And an email came through from the production company saying, oh, um, Channel 5 have uh, decided they're going to pick this up, but they want to recast it. So they did another English one. I don't know if you saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, a sketch group called Late Night Gimp 5, who were really nice. One of them's from down this way, actually. And um, and that was the end of that. Yeah. Like, and yes. <laughs> but again, I, I felt with that version, the, the, the best things were when they... Managed to strike out on their own more, yeah. and you know, especially by then, the visibility of the American. I think one. also by that point, it was like really like there'd been an English version, and now everyone knew the American version. Yeah. So I thought it was a odd. I was surprised that they did that. I have to say. I mean, there were more um, sort of almost line for line setups, and apparently they promised them if they got a series two, they'd be able to do more of their own stuff. Yeah. But that's how really you don't get a second series is by yeah. covering the stuff which is already readily yeah. available. Yeah. Like yeah. That. It's weird. There we go. But anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. Uh, again, again, back to our sports theme. Uh, you've done a couple of uh, sports radio shows. So you've done Sports Talk Radio and Rob Beckett's Rock and Roll Football. Uh-huh. So can you tell us a bit about those projects? Uh, well, it's just the, the regular bloke wasn't there and I got called. <laughs> There's not really, so really busy, a it's such a dream. <laughs> it really it was, uh, I got an email on the Thursday saying, uh, are you around on Saturday? Would you like to do it? Well, Rob is a mate. And um, so it, I just, 
yeah, we get on and have a laugh. So he was just like, do you want to come and co-host it when uh, Matt Dyson's not here? And I was like, yeah. And I've also done it. Matt Ford is the host now, and he's like one of my best mates. So I've been and co-hosted it when he's uh, co-hosting it. It's just basically a radio show where every time there's a goal, they stop the music and report the gold and just muck about and have a laugh. I'd like to do more radio. I actually did a radio show down here on... Uh, Sa- it was called Sam FM. It's called- oh no, it was called Jack FM. No, now it's called Sam FM. I used to do Saturday mornings on there once in a, a once upon a time. But uh, that I do enjoy radio. That's good fun. Excellent. Uh, speaking of Matt Ford, uh, yeah. you've written for his uh, Unspun TV show, yes, uh, yeah. twenty sixteen. So uh, how how is it? Do you have to angle your voice towards the kind of comedian you're writing that one for? I really struggle. I've done a bit of writing actually. That's topical as well. Ten cats. Yeah, that was a very political show, and I'm not hugely knowledgeable i think basically originally the sort of uh the the remit for that was that it was going to be a, a show uh about politics for people that weren't into politics and kind of my role was going to be to kind of write the jokes to make it accessible to the everyday person um yeah. and um it then sort of once which is quite often the way with new television programs they start as something and then naturally just become something else and um yeah i think it quite quickly became apparent that it was going to be more of a show about politics for people that are into politics and i just didn't I, it was quite hard because i was having to learn what the story was and then write jokes on it whereas usually so i've written on eight out of ten cats for rob beckett i've written for him a few yeah. times and i wrote on a show called uh, play to the whistle um i wrote for sean walsh on on that was a sport it was a bit like a league of their own on itv okay um and that was kind of more where I knew what we were writing jokes about, so I wasn't having to... Whereas with Unspun, it felt like two, two steps. I was knackered by the time I left every day. It's like being at school. Yeah. So I'd have to go, right, okay, so if we come out with this deal, it means that there's going to be single market. I'm like, oh, what, what's a single market? You know? And there was all these characters I'm having to sort of... Go, and, but, but I was also... It was quite intimidating because I was in a room with a guy who was excellent that used to write on... Uh, or still does write on Have I Got News For You. So I was, I was in a room with topical joke writers and I was just out, out of the So you're more of an instinctive joke writer. It's more kind of like stuff which you're into and naturally kind of a feeling Well, stuff I know about it's easier to joke about. Okay. Um, well, in a minute, we're going to get on to uh, your stand-up tours. Uh, yeah. But before we do, we've got one other uh, clip to play. This is actually from next week's ghost. Get ghost? Yeah, we've got a ghost on next week. Uh, I thought I'd just go unconventional. You've got a clip from next week's show. I have. How it's have you managed that? Time travel. It's like well, I used to do a Doctor Who show, this. so I've, I've cracked time travel. <laughs> I may record these out of sequence. Uh, This is actually someone who I asked uh, if they were available for today. Unfortunately, she's off doing the Heineken Cup at the moment. Uh, The sailing. chestnut. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, So she recorded an interview at my house, and uh, we're going to play a little excerpt. This is Helena Lucas, who uh, won gold for us in the 2012 Games, as well as uh, a bronze in Rio. So uh, let's hear her talking about why uh, funding for such things as current sports relief and why getting money towards sports is so important. I'm Helen Lucas, MBE, and gold medalist from London, bronze medalist from Rio, and you're listening to Southampton Superpod. Maybe you could talk a bit about how important uh, things like sport relief are, and how important it is. You know, we've already touched upon a bit about properly funding sports, and why, why that's important. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think after London, the whole nation kind of 
woke up to sport. People were watching sports that they'd never even seen before. And I think kids were getting inspired by sports they'd never seen before because you know, at schools you still sort of typically have you know your netball, your football, your rugby, and your cricket. You you kind of your school sports and. There's a lot of kids that maybe, you know, they're not that good at netball, they don't like football, they don't like rugby. And so then they then they say, I'm no good at sport. And that's absolutely rubbish. There's so many other sports out there. And I think that was what was amazing about, you know, London 2012, was it opened not just kids' eyes, but parents, adults. There are so many different sports out there. And I'm sure there's one that's going to captivate so you know, it's going to captivate you that you're going to go and, and enjoy. And I think you know we're we're learning very much so about you know it's really important to be active. It's really important to you know take up a sport. It's important to be healthy. Um, that I think you know it's it it is about you know if you can kind of offer a whole variety of sports for people to have a go at and get inspired by. You know, that's gotta be a good thing. And, you know, somebody's gonna find something that they enjoy. Maybe it's trampolining, maybe it's fencing, maybe it's karate, maybe it's taekwondo, you know, it's kind of sports like that that maybe, you know, you're not necessarily gonna get introduced to at school, but you could get, you know, introduced to outside of school at your local leisure centre, you know, your local club. And if, you know, if, and, and again, you know, if there's a bit of funding that can help, you know, people take up those sports, it's gotta be. Okay, thank you very much, Helena Lucas. Sorry, you might have heard me speaking there over the live mic. That's right. So someone uh, here that um, I uh, 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 um, recognise from somewhere, and it's k- k- killing me because I can't see from there. It's from anyway. Okay, I'll try not to distract you too much. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're going to talk about your tours. So, like uh, your first tour last year, yeah. I thought I'd grown out of this by now. Yeah. How do you just go about staging your first show? Like, do you, do you get off or do you have to kind of like just start booking venues? How does it all kind of the mechanics of it work? Well, my agent will sort that all out. So basically... Um, so they just say, you're going on tour. No, no, no. Well, it was just sort of, I tended to the first one I did, I kind of, uh, people had said before, you should probably go on tour, you know, after Impractical Jokers would have maybe been a time that I could have done my first one. I mean, it's, it's quite hard to get someone to buy a ticket to come and see, yeah. see you, you know, so I'm always very grateful when, I'm surprised, to be honest, when you turn up and go like, you know, there's a hundred whatever people in it, it's amazing, but um, the first one I did, you know, was when I was out on tour with Kevin, um, it's quite a unique way to sell it, so we would go, uh, say, Nottingham and play in an arena, and then um, at the end, on the screens, it would come up with my tour, so if it had gone well and people liked you, they'll buy a ticket there and then. You know, in the internet, yeah. like there's a couple there to go, he's good, and they should go and buy, you know. Um, so that was a really good, I, that we, I kind of did my first tour off the back of that. And then this one is the, my second one, and this is where I'm kind of really doing it. And uh, are you someone who goes for like a theme throughout your show, or do you just go for uh, individual this set one, pieces? This one is my Edinburgh show from last year. So, so this is Lemon. Lemon. It's not kind of themed as such, but it kind of. It it, it it there it ends it kind of all ties up at the end and there's um a bit of tech stuff and there's like a you know it ends with a video and it's all it's yeah i think it's it's, it's a show uh, in the sense of kind of there are things that run through it that all come back in at the end and it's sort of there's a, i guess there's a narrative and um yeah it's it, it, i think when people are watching you for an hour it's more satisfying if 
there's a beginning, middle, and an end, as yeah. opposed to just a collection of bits, um, which I guess was probably what my first tour was more, a bit of a greatest hits to date. Whereas this one is, I'll go out, what I tend to just go out in the beginning and do a, you know, a few just bits of stand-up, chat to people, see who we've got in, have an interval, and then I come out and do the show, which runs for an hour. Yeah. And have you got support on, on tour with you? Can't afford one. I'm doing it myself. I have a costume change. So <laughs> <laughs> I come out in one jacket and then in the interval I change. Uh, which I do you pretend off. to be someone else in your no, 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 product? No, no, no. <laughs> so, so I can't afford a that, but I will be doing a costume change. Yeah. Nice. And is there a lot you learned from your first uh, tour bringing into your second? Um, I feel a bit more relaxed this time because like the first one, it was two 45-minute sections, which is quite a long time. So... The first couple of nights, I'm just worrying about filling the time more than anything else, which isn't particularly helpful when you're trying to be funny, do you know? You're better off being relaxed. And I think this time, it's definitely, I'm kind of, you know, more used to people coming and I am the, the night rather than what I have been previously doing, which is being part of a night. It's now Go like, I'm, I am the show. And anyone who wants to kind of like follow in your footsteps as a stand-up, kind of what's, what's your advice you give out to stand-ups? Uh, you've got to really want to do it. Um, you have to do you have to do as many gigs as possible. I mean, when I first started, when I was kind of working and doing this as a sort of you know amateur or open mic, if you will, I was working. I was living in Brighton, working in Brighton, and I was sometimes doing gigs seven nights a week. Get, getting train up to London, doing a gig, coming back, getting in at like one in the morning, getting up at seven, going to work up. And that's the only way you can get good enough to. You know, I think there's no substitute for actually getting up on your feet and doing the, doing the gigs. And you're midway through the tour at the moment. Where are you touring next? Or what's uh, coming up? So the, the next two dates are Glasgow and Aberdeen. Um, I've just been in Nottingham this week, Cardiff, Bristol, which are all really good fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's all and, good. And you always having to be working on the next tour when you're doing this well, one? I'm doing or Edinburgh do you... Festival again in August, so I'll be writing a show for that which um, I should have been well underway. It's <laughs> like sort of doing your GCSEs. You're like, oh God, I need to start working. But yeah, I'll, I'll get there. I always do. And where do you even start on, on crafting a new, a well, new show? Well, sort of, you think, well, what, where is my head at at the moment? What am I finding funny? What, where, you know, there's an element of like, what am I, where am I in my life? That kind of, and Edinburgh is an hour long show. So it's not kind of like you're going out and trying to do 20 minutes of, uh, of just bang, 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 bang. It's kind of more, you've got a bit more time. Thank you very much. Cheers. Oh, we've got a drink delivery here. Amazing. We like this kind of service. Uh, shout out to Nicola there. Cheers. Cheers. Um, so, yeah, so um, I had a funny thing happen to me, which kind of, it's quite nice if you can sort of build the whole thing around, around one story and just flesh it out a bit, you know, and kind of deviate from the story and then come back to it. So I've got, I've had a funny thing. I met the... Um, the Libertines in December, who are one of my favourite bands, and kind of, I quite often get compared to Tony Hancock, and I know Pete Doherty is a big Tony Hancock fan. Yeah. And they came to my gig on the Friday night, um, and to cut a long story short, there's a lot, there's a lot to this story. It was incredibly, incredibly surreal weekend. I bump into Pete Doherty on the Sunday morning. I was already going to their gig anyway. They were in Birmingham. And I, I, I was I was doing a run of gigs that week, and then they were playing on the Sunday night, which I'd already planned to go to. And he basically ended up asking me if I'd do a bit of stand up before then. Wow! Um, and uh, it turns out their fans did not want stand up. <laughs> yeah. It always seems like poems and chalice, a comedian coming out before a music Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's sort of like it's not even the same discipline. They had had a poet on earlier, but they wanted me. Pete was 
adamant that I go on before them and, and, and introduce them. And I'm like, I'm not going to say no to that. They're not oh, my favourite yeah, yeah. band. You have to say no, but you have to know it's not probably going to go great. I did in my mind. I was like, is this a good idea? And I said to Carl, I was like, oh, have you had a comic before? And he said, oh, yeah, I had, St- I had Stephen Merchant. I'm like, that is a little bit different. You know, yeah. that's going to be like, fucking hell, it's, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> don't cut the feed, please don't cut the feed. He said flipping hell. Flipping hell, sorry. Flipping oh, that's incredible. I almost managed an hour. Oh, <laughs> for seven shots. But um, I was like, oh, blimmin' hell, you know, um, that, that's a bit different, isn't it? That's like people, people, people sort of seeing Steve Merchant. So anyway, I kind of went out and said, oh, I was excited for the Liberty. And everyone was like, hey. And I said, oh, the boys have asked me to come out and do a bit of stand-up. Ooh, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite a humbling. But they were they were booing the idea of someone doing stand up <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than my actual stand up, which is kind of that's what I'm going to keep telling myself. But it was uh, a soon. So I came off, and for about five minutes, was quite shaken. And then I was like, "That's my Edinburgh show sorted. That'll be kind of that'll form the meat of it." You know, I I, I forget which band it is. We'll say it's the Stones. But like apparently, Tommy Cooper had to uh, open for a huge band. Well, it used to be quite a common thing. Punk yeah. bands used to quite often have uh, comics supporting them. There's a guy called Tony Allen that used to support The Clash. So it is, but this, that was before the interval. This was literally, the interval ended, and everyone's like, amazing. It's the Libertines. People were singing, it's coming. It's rowdy pints flying everywhere. Then I walk out. All right? Yeah. I was like, who's this? <laughs> Well, apparently this is what happened. Like, Tommy Cooper came out and they were like throwing bottles, they were screaming yeah, yeah. him. He's just getting through his act yeah, I've never so much. I'm so glad to see plastic pipe lines <laughs> yeah. in my entire life. He gets off stage, he passes the band and goes, oh, follow that. <laughs> so, uh, to round things up, mm. uh, part of the reason why I decided to do this show was mm. because I felt a bit stuck in a rut. I was uh, doing a podcast about Dog 2 because I'm a massive geek and I wanted to uh, talk to the great and good and get some advice about being a uh, better performer. If in, if not a better man myself, so uh, I'm going to ask wow, you for some. I can't help I'm going to ask. <laughs> you have come to the wrong place. It's all right. It doesn't make take much to be a better man than me. It's fine. Right. But, uh, so I'm going to ask you for some advice now. So, uh, what? I it? think you're a very engaging performer. I think uh, I, oh, I, 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 I can only see it from this side, but I think uh, I, 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 I've enjoyed talking to you, and I should imagine everyone has enjoyed watching you in the audience. I think yeah. Yeah, I think you've got a very engaging, <laughs> likable sort of personality. I think. Well, just 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 give me some advice for the sake of it, anyway. What would you say to uh, some advice about being uh, fearless on stage as a stand-up? Fearless. Yeah, yeah, being brave on stage because I do some uh, some panels and stuff. I host things like that. Okay. So I, I want some advice about being brave on stage. Um, I just think you have to just. It's such a weird line to walk because you have to absolutely care about it and not care about it at all. It's such a weird... uh, It's a hard thing to articulate, but there is a kind of sweet spot that you operate in where you don't care and you really care. And it it sort of... um, And I think when you can find that... I've heard it described as a state of flow and you kind of only know it when you're in it and that is when you just... And and I'll tell you what also... I mean, this is not quite answering the question that you've asked, but like you can win over a bad audience, but it is a lot easier when an audience, if an audience has come wanting a good time, it will be good. That like, you know, that that's, um, but in terms of being fearless,
Okay, we've got, got dead here. Air here, sir. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I, I think it's just that thing of just the more you do it, the more fearless you become. I think that is literally, you know, I've, I, I've done thousands of gigs now. And it literally, I mean, still, you know, uh, but I, you just... You just realise after time, it's not really... I mean, I have had someone come on stage with a glass before, and that was not particularly nice. <laughs> but, you know, that was an extremely... You know, that, that sort of stuff doesn't happen often. You know, nine, nine, 999 times out of a 1,000, there's not much that's going to go, you know. Brilliant. Okay, we are going to bring this in for a landing, but uh, please go to paulmccaffrey.com. Yeah. And check out all his latest gigs. Uh, some of the ones we've said tonight might have passed by the time this goes out because it's going out early May. But he'll be playing somewhere and he is well worth going out and seeing. Thank you. One of the uh, best comedians we've got touring at the moment. Go out and see oh. him now. And please support local comedy as well as supporting Just don't ask me how to be fearless because I will... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just demonstrated you can be prepared edgy. to leave dead air for like 30 <laughs> seconds and not... <laughs> That's fearless for you, sir. Uh, but please go to uh, superpod.co.uk and donate now. We are here to raise money. We, we hope you've had a great time. We hope you enjoyed my uh, passing show that I do. But it's all about raising money for sports relief and helping people for good causes and winning tickets as well. So even if you're a selfish, get, do it anyway. So I have been Dr. Scree. With me is Ben. Paul McCaffrey. And that has been my show. <laughs> When I first moved here, didn't have any friends, didn't know anyone, all like drugs and like knife crime and stuff like that. That made that area a lot worse for me and I didn't want to be there anymore. The bullying and stuff like that, it put me in a, put me in a dark place where I didn't want to be. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Didn't want to do anything, I just wanted to stay in my house and just sit there and just cry my eyes out. I didn't want to cry in front of my friends, so therefore I was weak. I didn't want them to think that. I wanted to think, oh, he's a strong kid. When my dad left, I felt like the world just ended up just falling on me. I was like punching walls, screaming and shouting at the people who I loved. I had anger and stress built up inside me. I just wanted to let out, but I couldn't. I couldn't speak to my friends because I didn't have enough trust in them. When I opened up about my depression, deep went around the whole college. I had people laugh at me. I did cry. I cried. And I cried most of them seven years. I had all these death threats that had been sent to me. Go kill yourself. It was the worst experience I've had in my life. I'm actually glad that the one upstairs showed up. They've helped me through thick and thin. To have the opportunity to speak about my mental health was a big thing. They helped me talk and be who I am now. I feel like they're family now to me. One in four of us will experience depression at some point in our lives. This Converted Police Riot Van is a hub where boys in Birmingham can get together, be creative and talk about how they're feeling. 
Mental health is something we all need to take care of and watch out for in one another. It's so important and places like this can make such a difference. And it's paid for by money you raise for Sport Relief. I want to inspire young kids, lads who are my age, to speak out. I don't want them to be scared anymore. Get involved with your school this year and you can help young people like Reese here and across the world lead happier, healthier lives.